Let's take a moment to call on the name of the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we count it a privilege to gather together, and so we are here in your presence in this place. While we acknowledge that your presence is everywhere, we know that a special measure of your presence is when we gather together. Much more than two or three this afternoon, we thank you, Lord, for each one that is here, as well as those that are joining us online, and we pray, Lord, for your blessing to be upon us as we would open the scriptures, as we would learn from ancient truths that don't change, that are so applicable today. We pray for the inspiration to expound on this word. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> We're in the book of Daniel, starting, started last week. Um, and uh, there's a number of themes in Daniel chapter 1, and we'll explore one of those this afternoon. So let's begin reading from the first verse. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Kim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. <clears throat> and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter, that means healthier, in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of days, now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. This concludes Daniel chapter 1. There are many themes that... Uh, we can draw from uh, this Daniel chapter 1. You will recall, recall last Sunday afternoon as we began this, we gave a brief survey overview of the history of the nation of Israel and how they even came up to this point such that they were in captivity. Uh, and that is one theme that uh, I feel led to explore in more depth uh, this morning, uh, this afternoon, that of captivity. You know, the, the other themes that are in here um, is that of identity. We see that woven in here and how they're taken and changed names. That is an assault on their identity. Uh, we see, of course, the obvious, maybe the most common theme that is viewed in this chapter is that of compromise or no compromise. And each of these themes is sufficiently in-depth that in future messages, Lord willing, we can explore. But for today, we will focus on the theme of captivity. Now, this area of captivity that the uh, children of Judah uh, went into, this was the first wave. They were all of nobility. These were people that were taken, in a sense, as hostages in this first wave of captivity. The, the conquering of the land of Judah was not complete. There was still conflict there, and this was the first step in them giving in or losing in the conflict. And it's not uncommon for nations of that uh, type uh, to, uh, as part of the first wave of captives, to take hostages of key people. So these were nobility, children of nobility. Uh, likely, um, these four friends would likely have been in their teens. Uh, and uh, there's a particular purpose and strategy that the Babylonians had in taking them as captive captives. Typically, that strategy would be indoctrination, as we see that in the language and the tongue of the uh, Chaldeans. Now, the, the Chaldeans were an upper stratus, uh, upper class within the Babylonian Empire. And so uh, they would take nobility and indoctrinate them in their way of thinking, in their worldview, 
typically for the purpose of sending them back in a certain number of years as rulers in their homeland, but on behalf of the sending country of Babylon. And in that sense, they made them more effective because they were rulers among their own people, but yet because they were indoctrinated in the worldview of the sending country, they were in a sense working for the sending country. And so it's, even though the scripture doesn't point these details out in this case, this is typical for what would have been uh, in history at that time. But we see how Daniel and his friends didn't fit with their program and how they resisted their indoctrination in various ways. And we'll look at, uh, at some of that. <clears throat> but for the second and the third waves of captives that came in succeeding years, um, their experience of captivity was very different as they were taken for labor, for hard labor, forced labor, um, and uh, just, we, we can just not imagine what that would be like to be invaded by an enemy nation and taken captive um, uh, hundreds or thousands, some miles away, uh, and uh, working hard, nobody caring for your existence. Whether you live or die is irrelevant um, uh, from a human life standpoint. It's just whatever you were worth to produce in labor or those that had a special skill and craft, they were put to that use for the benefit of your captors. Uh, sold as slaves, uh, just a commodity. Um, uh, if you were married or did marry, children were born into slavery and owned by the same master that owned you. A very, very dismal existence. Thankfully, uh, at least to what we can imagine, slavery, we don't have that type of slavery, we think. But actually, as we look at the type of captivities that do exist in the world, um, there is a lot of different kind of slavery that takes place uh, in the world. But if we look at, the, the, in the case of their experience, the consequence of misusing God-given freedom was this captivity. Um, if we look in uh, Galatians chapter 1, if we relate this now to the gospel and those who are, have been redeemed by the gospel, there's a risk of being, going back into captivity as we have been saved out of captivity. And the Apostle Paul makes this clear in Galatians 5.1. He says, stand fast. So that's hang on, stand firm. Uh, Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And this afternoon we'll explore what the yoke of bondage can be, as there's a number of expressions um, or applications uh, of that. Uh, and then uh, continuing on to verse 13, he, he repeats this in a different way. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Human freedom is tremendously valued. And indeed, God has created us to be free creatures. Free in the sense, free to be who he has created us to be. Free to fulfill the calling and purpose for which he has called us and saved us. And so, to that degree, Adam and Eve were free creatures but when they rebelled against the one who gave them freedom, the only one by whom freedom comes is God and his son Jesus, then the only alternative is captivity. And so Adam and Eve began shortly after they were created as they disobeyed 
the rest of their life in captivity and their offspring born into captivity all through every single human person and born into the nature of sin which brings about bondage and captivity. The Bible also describes other forms of captivity in terms of debt is a type of bondage. Um, Our sin is a debt that we cannot pay, but also those that are ensnared in financial debt. It's a type of slavery because now you're working to pay off your creditor. Um, And if you are under high interest rates, that's all the more difficult uh, and uh, oppressive. But if we think in terms of spiritual captivity, this is the primary concern of the gospel, Uh, And the message that Jesus came to rescue us from, uh, he he does this through the the enemy. The the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, Jesus says in John 10, uh, verse 10. And Jesus came to rescue us from that. And we're living all around us, even to a certain degree, our own personal experience of what the enemy has done and can do in bringing people including ourselves to a certain degree, in captivity. But it's deceptive. It's not uh, in a sense that he's, he's chasing you with a net to entangle you physically in a net that it's so clear and obvious and visible. Typically, it happens in the form of a trap or a fish hook with some bait on there. And each person that is in captivity has participated to a large degree, participated in their own captivity by falling for the trap, by falling for the bait, thinking they can get the bait and avoid the trap or get the bait off the fish hook. Sometimes fish are successful in doing that. I'm not a fisherman by any means. I don't know. There might be a percentage of statistic of of how many fish are actually able to do that. But by far and uh, for the most part, that's how you catch a fish. And a fish is not likely going to be able to do that consistently. And so maybe there's someone here that has that experience and maybe is boastful. I was able to get the bait. I was able to experience some sinful pleasure, but I didn't get entangled in sin. And you're boasting about that right now. And maybe you're boasting to your friends and helping to entangle them or wanting to entice them into some kind of sinful behavior. I've done it lots of times and nothing bad has happened. Go ahead. Take it. Enjoy it. Um, it's great. You've never experienced anything like it. Whatever kinds of allurements they're going to use. But be sure that inevitably it will happen. You will become entangled in one form or another. And typically, even the person that may be inviting you into that may not even know that they already are somewhat enslaved to the very thing they may be offering you. And they may be blind to their own slavery. Beware of this. And the deceptiveness of various marketing tools that exist in, in the physical forms. Now we're talking a sense of physical bondage, of addictions. Just think about, you know, alcohol and tobacco. Um, vaping is a big craze now, which is also addictive. In some ways it's marketed as something new and different and emerging. And, and uh, cigarettes are out of vogue and, and vaping is in. Another form of slavery, of bondage, of destruction that will entangle you and hurt you. Um, Drugs, whether they be legal or illegal, and snares and traps. The pornography industry, gaming, gambling, um, and maybe other softer types of things that may one become addicted to seeing things on a screen and interacting with it. 
that one turns to. Um, media consumption can be addicted and so forth. These are enslavements that we choose to a certain degree and we participate in becoming entangled because of deception. And so beware, as Brother Eric spoke about this morning, be watchful and on guard for the deception that there is. And especially for those that are young people, you're not always going to be able to discern that. That's why God gave you parents, to help you discern. And so those that are uh, young people here under the care of your parents, beware of and be, uh, be observant and obedient to the warnings and instructions that your parents give you because they are there for your protection to prevent you from becoming entangled in some form of captivity. You might not see it. You don't see the hook, but they see the hook and the bait. You just see the bait right now. Or you don't notice the trap that's carefully camouflaged around this attractive uh, behavior of this pleasure, of this whatever seeks, uh, uh, grabs your attention. But your parents can see more clearly because they have more mature eyes and spiritual eyes to see the hook and the trap that is hidden beneath that bait. Beware. When we misuse and abuse our God-given freedom, the inevitable result is captivity. In a very tangible way, one of the things that brought Israel into captivity, of course, was their, or Judah, um, was their sinful behavior. Um, the Bible points out specifically some t- uh, numerous times of how they have neglected the Sabbath, representing their relationship with God, a day set aside to dedicate themselves for the purpose of seeking God and worship and intentionally coming into his presence. Of course, we do that every day, but there's a special way to do that, one in seven. And they had neglected that, and there's a specific connection to their 70 years of captivity to make sure that the land gives rest to all the Sabbaths that they neglected. Well, perhaps there's an application today. As we look in our land, what has become of the Lord's day? Even those that are professing Christians, what have we done with the, the, the Lord's day, which we treat as our Sabbath? We just treat it as a day to catch up on other things? Do we only seek God for part of the day and the rest of the day? We do other things that are not intended for the Sabbath. May we pay attention to that because it exposes or, in a sense, opens up for vulnerability then to the enemy to trap us into things that he wants to uh, trap us into. Of course, when one is caught in that, it's because there's short-sightedness. Brother uh, Gary spoke about nearsightedness uh, recently, where you don't see the long-term consequences. You don't see what's beyond the obvious. Beware and be careful uh, of that. You know, those that are most vulnerable for this kind of thing are those that may be insecure. Those that are insecure in your identity, maybe you don't have a good relationship with your parents, uh, you don't have a good relationship with God, um, you're discontented with God's way, you're, you're, I want to do my own thing and be on my own way, you're very, very vulnerable for being trapped by the enemy because that is, he's like a wolf looking for the person that has removed themselves from their God-given protection and uh, authority, and you make yourself vulnerable. Be careful about that. One area in which captivity takes place is in 
terms of human relationships. You know, typically we think of slavery in terms of labor, forced labor, and that's huge. Um, apparently, there is, um, I received some stats, uh, there are more people enslaved today than at any other time in history. We think, really? With all of the advances that we have in, in the abolition of slavery in most of the developed countries uh, and so forth, but yet, whether it's, slavery for la- it's for labor or for other means, uh, as we'll, we'll touch on, uh, apparently 40, more than 40 million people in the world today are in some form of slavery, in some sort, sort of captivity. Most of them women, some of them men, a quarter of them children under 18. Think about that. <clears throat> what does captivity and relationships look like? Uh, I don't know if it's part of these statistics. I'm going to be defining uh, captivity in terms of what God, how God has designed us to live and captivity being a departure from that. And so when a common way is when romantic relationships become controlling and abusive. And we've probably all heard stories like that that start out as um, uh, young uh, teens, maybe. They fall in love or this, or, or, or uh, a young girl meets Mr. Wonderful, um, a few years older, um, seems to be connected to money and gifts and affirmation, and it just flows, and everything's just great. Be careful. That is a waiting trap, perhaps, likely, especially if it's an ungodly man. Um, he wouldn't be using those methods in the first place, so that's one way to tell whether he's a godly man or not. Um, and it becomes, could become controlling and abusive, and that happens in many cases. Um, those that may find ways to escape from such a relationship um, are hurt and damaged and sometimes have even become indoctrinated and set up that the next relationship and the next relationship, if they have not been redeemed by Jesus, ends up in the same cycle over and over again. A form of captivity, yet no one would, in our culture today, no one would specifically define that as a type of slavery. But yet, in a sense, they are enslaved to their passions, enslaved looking for love and finding it in the wrong places because they fall into traps that exploit their vulnerabilities. Jesus has come to rescue you from that. And if there's someone here that knows someone like that, or maybe you have fallen into some of those tendencies yourself or attempted with that kind of a thing, beware. And turn to Jesus, because the best remedy for all forms of captivity is a strong identity in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about identity in a future message, so I can't explore that right now. But as we can see that in, with Daniel and his friends, they were very clear on who their identity was. We are children of God, of the lineage of Judah, and we are not going to fit with this Babylonian indoctrination program. And so... They resisted that, even to the smallest degree of refusing their food, because God had specifically commanded a certain diet for his children to eat. And Daniel and his three friends made that line as their line of compromise, against compromise, because they were sure of their identity in Christ, identity in who God has called them to be. They didn't know Jesus as we know him, but still, Jesus was very much present, of course, leading and being with God's people. Uh, and if, if they would have been uh, insecure about who they are, or if they didn't care about who they were, they would have fallen hook, line, and sinker into the Babylonian indoctrination program. 
The, the other area of uh, slavery, which is huge in our world, is known as human trafficking. I think there might have been a camp forum about that some years ago, so if you want more information about that, I encourage you to look that up and see the signs and symptoms of that. But this happens in many countries of the world, including Canada. Um, one of the stats was there was um, 1,700 or something like that people uh, reported in this over a period of years since 2009. And Ontario apparently is big in this in the, compared to the rest of Canada, the greater Toronto area. And so who knows, it might have been people that were passing on the 401 were actually captives of someone else. Another uh, uh, um, quote that I had read from a news report about every hotel along the 401 corridor involves someone that is in one of those rooms is in captivity, performing things for the pornography industry and related despicable industries. We can imagine that it's happening even in our own country. A form of captivity where the enemy seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. Another area is, I'll say, friendship in quotes. In terms of where someone, there may be buddies, but they're not, it's not really a true friendship. It's a form of emotional captivity. So this, this is, by now you're sort of getting the idea. In some cases here, the captivity that exists is not merely physical captivity. They're not walking around with handcuffs on them or they're not behind bars, so to speak. But it's a, it's a psychological captivity. It's an emotional captivity um, that has them, in a sense, chained to their captor uh, by the indoctrination and the treatment that they have received. Um, and so in that sense, it might be a, a, an unequal friendship between people or a gang-type relationship or a bullying-type relationship where someone is captive in that sense and they're persistently being bullied. You just think of how broken our world is and how many ways the enemy has found to hurt people and to just wreak havoc in their lives. But thankfully, Jesus came to free the captives. Let's take a look at the powerful scripture that speaks to his ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. So this is near the beginning of his ministry as Jesus announces, actually reading from the prophet Isaiah, the prophecy about himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. There's a key statement. The recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. So notice this word here, preach deliverance to the captives set at liberty them that are bruised. It's the same uh, uh, Greek word underneath there, deliverance and liberty. The same Greek word, just translated two different ways in two different situations here. Deliverance to the captives at liberty them that are bruised. Typically those that are in captive are hurt and maybe even have a crushed spirit that that they've despaired of even being free and don't even know uh, what that looks like. And the Bible speaks of the certainty of his freedom that Jesus offers. As we look at John chapter 8, uh, verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Continuing in verse 
34, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And then verse 36, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is the only one who offers true freedom. Any other person that is not, who is not a representative of Jesus, who is not preaching in Jesus' name or teaching what Jesus taught is a fake, is a, um, a, a, what a phony, a, other, other imposter. What they offer you is not true freedom. Turn to Jesus, the only source of true freedom. Freedom from sin, to overcome the power of sin in your life. Whatever bondage that you are in, enslaved to sin, or some habit or pattern in your life that you want to be free from, Jesus is the one, the only one with the power to free you from that. Uh, we have, there's stories in the Bible and in history of where he physically has opened prison doors for Peter and John when they were in prison, for Paul and Silas when they were in prison, and so forth, and he's done that in numerous other times, rare in history, but there is no captivity that Jesus cannot free you from. But the greater area of captivity as we think of it, explore this a little bit more of sin and its brokenness and what it all has all done is this state of mind. I think I touched on it a little bit earlier. Let's look at um, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We're in, engaged in a battle. Brother Eric spoke about that this morning. And we're physically in the flesh. But that's not the main place where the battle takes place. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, in a sense not physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Notice this play on the words of captivity here. He frees us because what he does is he, we, we bring every thought captive to Jesus. When we bring the things that we think about, and so this is, an, in a sense, a, an enslavement of the mind. When one is enslaved in sinful type of thinking or broken kind of thinking, dysfunctional kind of thinking, it's a type of slavery that one has that's maybe even hard to define, how to put borders around it and define its nature. But it happens in the mind. When the mind has been enslaved by the enemy or some broken patterns of living that uh, he has instigated or, or set up to happen, Jesus frees us even from these kinds of things. And in this state, shall we say, is how I would describe the state of Daniel and his free, three friends. Even though they were taken to this foreign land far away under great pressures of indoctrination, because they were free in their mind of their security in their identity, nobody could make them captive. Even though they were physically in places where they couldn't escape from in that sense, but they were yet free in spirit. In spirit, free in their mind. And such is the case for us. In our society, as there are pressures all around us and temptations to ensnare us and to enslave us, if we are free because Jesus has made us free, because we have repented from our sins and given our, the, the, the lordship of our life over to Jesus. And so I invite someone, everyone here, present, or those online, if Jesus is not your Savior and Lord, 
I encourage you, you can be free from captivity by turning to him. Believe the gospel message. Believe that what Jesus says about you and your condition, that first that you are in captive, that you are captive to sin. Don't deny that. Don't be blind to that. Recognize that and turn to him and ask you to free you from that. And you will be transformed. This transforming nature of the beautiful relationship that you have with Jesus. Now that begins a lifelong journey. Well, in a sense, we are made free and the power of sin is broken when we turn and repent to him. There are many areas of our life where the fullness, shall we say, the fullness of the gospel narrative has to take hold of and transform us day by day, sanctify us day by day such that we grow more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so that even for those of us that are believers, that have been believers for many years, even over 30 years or more, like myself, there are still areas in our life where the the fullness of the gospel in its nuances and its detail and its deep power still needs to touch our lives because there are certain areas where we may be trapped in our thinking or in our behavior or in our relating to people or in how we treat people that are, shall we say, remnants of a captive type of thinking that the enemy may still have us um, entangled in that we need the power of Jesus to be rescued from that. Repent and believe the gospel. The other thing that, uh, one other thing that Jesus has come to free us from is false religion. Because in, in a sense, false religion may offer a type of freedom. And it looks like it's based on the Bible. They may use the word of Jesus. Or they may have some highly disciplined form of living. And the various world religions um, are able to do that. But that does not free you from sin, does not give you redemption, forgiveness of sin, does not give you eternal life. That only comes from Jesus. And there's a warning in 2 Peter about false teachers and false prophets. And it goes to 2 Peter chapter 2. If you look in in, uh, verse uh, 19, while they promise, meaning they, the false teachers, promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. If you're overcome by sin, you are enslaved to sin. And false teachers of false religion have a promise of liberty, but yet it's just another form of slavery. And in a sense, this is a, a form of, even those that are, they might not be labeled as false prophets, but another form of uh, someone that may come along and offer you a free life. Uh, and children, maybe those, especially children, maybe that are estranged from their parents or, or teens that have run away from home. Maybe they're running away from a, a very broken, abusive situation. It's very sad when what God has created the family to be a protection for children turns out to be a place that harms children, very much in need of the transforming power of the gospel. And it's so sad the children that are vulnerable maybe leave that because they, they don't, can't live in that situation become vulnerable to those that promise them a type of liberty but are in the form of bondage of corruption in some, in some form. And so may we be encouraged by the power of the gospel to resist our culture's form of indoctrination and entanglements into slavery, believe and trust in Jesus and have an identity formed based on our relationship, on your relationship with him. As We'll talk about more of that maybe next time. Uh, and resist that and believe 
in Jesus Christ and truly live free as he has created us to be. Amen.